welcome to the latest episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Teresa Lusage, I'm a financial services partner, and I'm your host for today. In this episode, we'll discuss what we've learned from the disruption we've experienced over the past year, and we'll explore how we can take those lessons forward to help us create a safer and more sustainable future for everyone. The climate crisis is everybody's responsibility, and the COVID-19 pandemic has shown how rapid change is possible when inaction isn't an option. But we must now make sure that we're not in danger of wasting the learnings from the crisis and use the opportunity to build a better sustainable future. So this is something I don't know massive, a massive amount about. So I'm really delighted today to be joined in our virtual studio by Leo Johnson and Volker Becker. Hi, Leo and Volker. I wonder if you could just both give me a brief introduction uh, Volker, if I can come to you first. Thank you, Teresa. Really good to be with you on this program. Yes, I started my career in the 90s, actually originally in the IT sector and then later in uh, consulting. I've worked in different asset and infrastructure industries before I joined the energy sector. Today, I have really the pleasure to work with different businesses, startups and large corporates in the public and private sector, academia and charities. Most recently, I joined the Future Center of Energy Business at the University of um, Cologne, where we are looking at opportunities to um, drive further the uh, changes towards a net zero environment. Thanks, Volker. Um, and I really look forward to just getting the different insights from the different parts of your portfolio career. Um, so, Leo, can I turn to you now and ask you to just give a brief introduction of yourself? Thanks, Teresa. And great to be talking with you and Volker. So I head up PwC's Disruption and Innovation Team. and I also chair the PwC Advisory Council, which is brilliant to, to, to be on the, on, on the same council with, with Volker. And, you know, it's all about looking at what's the next stage of great growth, where we can harness the new set of technologies that we've got to address the challenges that are out there. Great. So you started off with the word disruption. Um, and of course, the pandemic has disrupted all aspects of our lives from consumer behavior to our working patterns and to supply chains. And obviously, as we saw last year, as you know, large swathes of the global industries went into lockdown, there were drastic impacts on carbon emissions and sustainability. So in previous episodes of the podcast, we've talked about how the pandemic has impacted organisations. But today, with you, Leo, and, and with Volker, I want to take a different lens. So, Leo, can I start with you first, just to understand from you, from the organisations that you've worked with, how have they been affected over the last year? I think COVID has not been the game changer yet that it needs to be. Yeah, we've seen carbon emissions down for sure. You know, the US was down 10% um, at one point, but it's gone back up. It's gone back up. In fact, you know, December 2020 emissions were back up. 2% globally on what they'd been a year before. Um, and, you know, if we are asking ourselves the question, have we looked at 
the um, big picture challenges that we face as businesses and collectively really responded by doing a sudden acceleration of, of, of the, the, the rate at which we're sort of getting rid of carbon? I think the answer is kind of not yet. Not yet anything like the degree that we need to. You know, we, we, we run each year our net zero economy index at PwC. And the annual rate of decarbonization since 2010 has been 1.5%. Um, and if we're going to hit the targets that we need to of avoiding 1.5 degrees of warming, we've got to go up to 11.7%. It's just a massive, uh, it's just a massive change of the, 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 the level of progress that we're making. Um, so I would say we just have not got there yet. And if anything, what COVID has done, I think, is it's delayed COP26. Um, already, if we're just going to implement the Paris Agreement, um, that only gives us 2% of the total 45% reductions by 2030 on the 2010 commitments that we got. So in other words, the current agreements that we got don't get us far enough. We need clear policy to drive business engagement to really step up the level of decarbonization that's happening. So I'm afraid, you know, the glass is half full. There's loads of signs of progress, but we, we ain't there yet. I gotta say, Leo, my jaw kind of dropped at, at your answer because everything that I'd read talked about this big difference that these last years, sort of 18 months um, has made. Um, so Volker, can I come to you to get your perspective, um, particularly from the different companies that you work with, have they been affected from a sustainability perspective? Yes, they have. Businesses um, couldn't respond quickly enough um, to the challenges. We see that a lot of processes had to be digitized in in a very, very short time, which is unheard of. And you all remember the time when um, businesses had to adopt new ERP systems um, to uh, improve uh, their financial reporting, when we heard how difficult it was in some businesses to get laptops uh, to people so they could work from home, that all happened in weeks. Also, the way how you um, engage in, in retail businesses with your customers has changed dramatically. So we needed to find, as businesses, uh, a way of communicating um, with people who are basically working from home and give them opportunities to um, also make the right decision, whether it is for um, energy supply or indeed um, creating an opportunity to um, invest um, to decarbonize um, their homes. In other words, technologies like smart meters, um, heat pumps, um, or microgeneration. So I think from, from that perspective, a catalyst. I do agree with Leo, though that we can't just use the uh, greenhouse gas reduction from last year, 15 to 20% it was, depending on what measure you take, as a blueprint for the future. A, it wouldn't be enough, as uh, Leo pointed out, to achieve um, the um, Paris um, Accord um, target. 
And and the question is, are we not actually um, getting slightly out of this um, pandemic? Um, we are already going uh, yet up again. So we need to be careful that on the one hand, businesses um, not um, celebrate the success of last year and learn from last year, um, define a trajectory um, which is actually able to meet these targets. And, and therefore, I think... Last year was a learning um, and the move into the right direction. But now we need to embed sustainable changes, which basically manifest what we have achieved in what was one of uh, the biggest crises in uh, human history. Teresa, can I, can I chip in as well? Because um, I think there are, there are rays of hope and, and Volker's touched on a bit of it. And, you know, we showed what we can do, no question. And I think the, the transitions that are starting to happen in the sector that you know, Volker really leads in around the energy space, these are extraordinarily exciting, where COVID, as, as Volker says, has accelerated the trend towards distributed manufacturing of, of goods, including energy. And this is renewable energy produced locally, and it might be solar, it might be blockchain-enabled solar, and you know, there I think you're seeing radical decarbonization and potentially um, some social benefits as well of, of, of inclusive models of social growth. So I think that trend towards localism that COVID has accelerated is really significant, is really significant. But I think there's something else as well, and Volker, I'd be really interested in your thoughts on this, which is in the culture, um, I think we've all felt precisely because we've been able to spend more time not traveling on trains and sitting inside offices. We've all felt more connected to that local, to the people and place around us. And I think there's something around a new sense of the ecosystem that is filtering up into organizations, into energy purchases, where I think 29% of energy customers now, according to our survey, are conscientious. And I think into millennials, where there's a study showing 83% want businesses to be more aligned with their own values. So there's something I think that's been bubbling up around culture that COVID has maybe also accelerated. And I don't know if either of you are also feeling that. Yeah, you're right, uh, Leo. I think um, what you um, saw in the past, and I deliberately say pre-COVID, was that the main decision of a customer was on price and maybe the number two was on um, service quality. But whilst price is still important, you're absolutely right on people are more conscientious and much more focused on how can I make a contribution uh, to, uh, to net zero. And it's staggering uh, when you hear that um, almost 90% um, of people which we have surveyed know about the net zero targets um, and probably half of those um, make that part of their decision making. That's unheard of. Now, you could say, well, does it really matter? Well, it does because for energy companies, was only focusing on price and service um, at the front line, mainly in call centers. 
they have now the opportunity to engage with customers. Um, and and how does how is that translated into um, into new products? Well, we have seen a massive push um, in um, what I call the decarbonization of the heat and uh, cooling sector, um, whether it's replacing um, gas boilers or even old oil heating. People now start thinking about ways of decarbonize their buildings. Um, And again, for energy companies, a fantastic opportunity to um, offer them um, different products. Um, By the way, I should add, because of these massive investments, um, it is another opportunity uh, for energy companies to engage with their customers on financing these longer term investments. We see a lot of customers looking at um, reducing the energy demands. Now, on the one hand, um, this is, first of all, being able to measure and analyze their data. And one of the key enablers is the smart meter in, in people's home. And, and again, what you find is that last year in particular has increased the number of queries into call centers people looking at their consumption behavior and asking for advice again a fantastic opportunity for an energy company to come up with alternative solutions and then the third area which um, we have observed is basically you could summarize um, every kilowatt hour you don't use is a good contribution to uh, um, towards the drive uh, to net zero. And people asking for advice on uh, using low-consuming energy devices, whether it's um, uh, LED lights, whether it's even um, making a um, contribution by um, having offsetting measures and investing in alternative technologies. So, so that's that's new, and, and that is something we have seen particularly in the last year, where where people started um, to uh, look at the much broader set of products and services they could get from the energy co- companies. So, so my perspective, Leo, is a lot of what Volker just said resonates with me in that. I guess as you saw the TV pictures of the, you know, the clearer skies, the clearer air, etc., I've become much more conscious than I was 18 months ago about a lot of the a lot of the ways in which I can contribute. So what, so what Volker was saying about the smart meters absolutely sort of resonates with me and low energy products, um, etc. But I'm still struck by what you said at the very beginning in that things started off really well. By December, um, we'd seen a shift, you know, I guess going back, reversing. So uh, Volker's talked about the energy companies, but if I sort of look more broadly across all of the industries, there's a lot of pressure at the moment for people to make or businesses to make their operations, their supply chains, their business models, everything much more sustainable. So in order not to, I guess, erode the gains that we've had over the last year, from your perspective, Leo, how do you think that we can recover sort of sustainably from the pandemic? So how do we recover long-term sustainably? I think there is three horizons we've got to look at this through. I think there's 
a short term horizon, which is, you know, everyone's got to get the, you know, the, the show back on the road. Um, and I think business has been extraordinarily resilient in managing to do that. Um, and the question then is, you know, after this, this period where like the principal challenge has been staying afloat, dealing with the crisis, um, keeping, keeping resilient, how do we manage to get transformation to happen at the size and scale that we need? And I think here it's, um, it's challenging um, on the environmental side, but there's just a range of colliding cost curves that kind of make me optimistic that we are going to do some stuff to decarbonize. You know, the energy return on energy invested on fossil fuels continues to go down, where if you look, and Vulcan can speak to this, to the breakthroughs in renewables, they're looking more and more cost competitive. And this is the type of stuff that translates into our daily lives. It might be vehicle to grid integration on the renewable power, where it starts to get, it starts to get mainstream because it just makes business sense and, it, and it's easy. It's, it's not there yet. You know, we need another 155,000 charging points in, in, the, in the UK to make it work. We need carbon taxation to really drive it. But you can see that with the right collaboration between business and government, we could start to make that happen. And you could see a sort of a second horizon there of transformation towards some other um, modes of doing business that make sense and which are, which are within the boundary of the doable. But I think there's a third horizon as well, which is where we step back, take the bigger picture and look at some of the other challenges beyond carbon that we've got. That it's not just about net zero. It's it's you know it's the elephant in the room at the moment, but we've also got a pressing set of social challenges and governance challenges that are around us. We've got 4.9 billion people who are going to be in Asian and African megacities by 2035, according to the World Bank, where I used to work. We've got hundreds of millions of them exposed to sudden and gradual climate stresses around water uh, adjacent cities, who are going to be forced to um, become distressed migrants, creating pressures on, on, on the political systems. We've got challenges around the combination of climate change, urbanization, and demographics, which are a real existential threat to the global value chain model of doing business that we've got. So there's something around a third horizon where we really think long-term and strategically about our interdependence as Western nations where we realize as we've started to begin to see through COVID and the joint vaccination problems that we are as robust, as strong as the nations that we collaborate with, that none of our nations is an island. And we've got to start looking for, call it a green Marshall Plan, call it a environmental and social, not just green Marshall Plan, opportunities to create inclusive growth in emerging markets that really works for the many. That for me is the third horizon. And it's probably the biggest, the biggest opportunity for business and also the biggest challenge to us if we fail to see it and we don't rise up to it. What do you think the chances are, particularly if that third horizon happening? Hi, Theresa. I mean, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, I, I, I do think it's, 
it's wonderful that COVID has opened up our eyes to the need to vaccinate not just ourselves. You know, that's a start. Paradoxically, though, I don't think compassion and a sense of our interdependence with others is going to be the main driver. I think one of the big drivers is just going to be the sheer range of opportunities to create growth by looking into these massive world challenges. And it's in sanitation, in, in water, in housing, in education, in healthcare, in smart agriculture, in climate, smart irrigation, across all these major world challenges, this is where there are market opportunities. The UN estimates the Sustainable Development Goals represent a 36 trillion market. So if capitalism is smart, it'll realize it's not about trying to eke out another little bit of market share, serving an already served UK or OECD market with, with a whole series of commoditized low margin products that, by the way, often have a lot of environmental and social side effects. It's about looking into this new set of growth opportunities where we're growing precisely because we're solving the big social, environmental and economic problems that are out there. So I think there is a business logic and that's kind of what gives me hope. Brilliant. Thanks, Leo. And Volker, can I pick up on that? Because Leo used the phrase, if capitalism is smart, you already gave some examples of, uh, of what businesses are beginning to do. I, I just wonder, having heard what Leo has had to say, if you just want to sort of pick up on the same question, um, how can businesses sustainably recover from the pandemic? When Leo talked, I uh, was just thinking about a, um, a famous uh, quote I, I came across, uh, Teresa, which is, there is no vaccine for environmental degradation. So, so surely, um, it, it's not just businesses. Um, it's, uh, it's a whole combination I think we need to address. Um, and and I, and I and I guess before I come back to businesses, um, just important to remind us, we know consumers, customers, individuals, they have changed the way how they are looking at um, the net zero um, transition. They definitely um, have um, voted with their feet, and and all surveys and all evidence from last year show this is already happening. And, and secondly, um, businesses have responded to this. I think what is more important um, that we also see now governing um, all governments to um, look at stimulus packages to get out of this crisis. And, and when you look at, and this is very different to what we have seen back in 2008 and 2009 during the financial crisis, where most stimulus packages um, across the world, we're actually focusing on existing industries. We all remember the, the famous car scrap scheme, which was basically um, supporting existing industries, and there were similar measures. Now, everyone is focusing on this build back better, and if I may add, greener. And I think that is a key foundation for, for businesses. Uh, not very often, um, I can recall, uh, there was a large consensus on the objective. I think where we need to work on is, however, how do we get to that common goal? Because as Leo has pointed out now a couple of times, 
time is of the essence here and we are not there yet. So it's the speed of the transformation. Now on businesses, um, what makes me really um, very optimistic um, when I just heard um, in the, um, the last few weeks um, at the beginning of June, already almost 800 British companies have signed up to the uh, UN campaign called uh, the Race to Zero. Again, 800 businesses. Um, and that tells you it is more than just another trend, um, something you, you need to do as a business. It is genuinely uh, driving that change, um, not only to be seen as a corporate um, citizen and a good corporate citizen, but rather also improve, as I was already pointing out earlier, the um, um, propositions you have uh, with more engaged um, customers. So I think my, my personal view, Teresa, is this system has now the right dynamic. Customers who want to change, governments who uh, now see this is the number one, maybe the number two, uh, key critical issues um, for um, to be re-elected at some point. Combining that with um, packages to get us out of the, the pandemic and stimulate economic growth, and then businesses um, who are making a great contribution to it. And there are plenty of opportunities. That's why it is so exciting to be part of this energy sector at the moment. And so looking forward, Volker, in terms of the lessons that, you know, that have learned, is there anything that you would see that you would want us to keep from a business perspective or from a consumer perspective um, from this new kind of post-pandemic way of life? Well, I think if, if I could choose, it is that sort of common goal which we need to, to maintain. We all know in businesses um, that what is very topical and, and very important to discuss could be um, superseded by um, more uh, pressing issues going forward. So we need to keep momentum here. And, and let's be clear, as we um, have now stated numerous times, Momentum is one key, um, but innovation is needed. This, this is an unfinished article, Teresa. We, um, we just look at the, the generation portfolio, and, and yes, you could argue we are close to achieving um, our carbon reduction targets by 2030. But then again, a big other sector um, we haven't talked about yet is, um, is heating. Um, con contributing uh, about an, another 30% on average across the globe um, to greenhouse gas emissions. And another almost as big sector with 25% is what I call surface transport. So there are big challenges to um, decarbonize these other two sectors. And, and therefore more needs to be learned from the crisis. We need to um, find ways of um, keeping momentum on where I believe we have made fantastic progress um, on technology. I talked about smart meters. Okay, well, that rollout is going to be done in the next couple of years. 
But what, what are we doing with this? How, how does this drive consumer, consumer behavior? How can we um, encourage um, people to change their consumption behavior? Um, quite an interesting one um, Leo and I talked about um, recently. Um, in Spain, for example, you have now since the 1st of June 2021, a tariff where you um, have different prices across three different price zones simply to shift their consumption behavior into off-peak hours, which are usually um, during the night or um, a couple of hours during the daytime between morning and, uh, and midday. But that, that, uh, this is just one example of, um, of very many um, we are already working on. I looked at the number of startups actually founded over the last two years. And it's amazing when you see actually the leading country um, across Europe, and I include the UK um, in, in this survey, is the UK, followed by Germany. A staggering three-digit number of new founded startup businesses in the energy sector, which tells you there's a lot of focus of young people, experienced professionals of the sector and from adjacent sectors coming into this. That's the sort of momentum I, I, um, I'm talking about, uh, Teresa. That's what I think we need to, um, to learn to um, keep um, focused on it and hopefully the political will to support these industries with all these um, uh, announcements on whether it's the research and innovation infrastructure um, program the UK government has launched um, around the 22nd of June or other areas where you see the Australian government and um, um, similar investment schemes in North America, they will ensure that business see an attractive opportunity um, to drive the, uh, the change to a um, fully decarbonized environment and at the same time have the opportunity to create new business models. So it's that belief of there is a future business model in this environment that, that you're responding as a corporate to customer needs and, um, and demands. And, and more importantly, um, you um, making um, a good contribution to uh, what is probably one of uh, the biggest societal challenges we, we are facing at the moment. And, and coming back to you again, Leo, in terms of lessons learned, when you're talking to organisations, what do you get from them in terms of, I don't know, what are the sort of the top two or three things that they want to keep from the last 18 months? Let me pull out one big thing, which is really around innovation. The COVID was this extraordinary crisis lab where people were forced to innovate, to just reinvent the way they did stuff. And what happened was that crisis lab unlocked a huge amount of talent of what Clay Shirky calls the, the cognitive surplus. And, um, you know, we saw Italian doctors 3D printing the Venturi valve when the ventilators weren't working outside a pressure in Milan, saving 10 people's lives 
over over a, a 24 hour period you see you know sector after sector where people just reinvented a way of a way of working and i think it's that unlocking of innovation talent um unlocking that cognitive surplus that skills base this is the crucial challenge um you know we're at this extraordinary moment where we could see widespread automation the world bank projecting 69 percent of blue and white collar jobs globally um getting shed um in 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 the mid 2030s through automation and we could see that covid has accelerated that trend the combination of cost cutting for automation and digitization for for security has definitely accelerated the growth of the tech platforms the big getting bigger the small getting smaller and you could see a world where you know we are left to click and swipe where we become this class of the useless um surviving on universal basic incomes that bankrupt the state i don't want to get gloomy because that's not the world i think we're headed for i think if we play this right what we will do is unlock that cognitive surplus we'll line up this new set of easy to pick up skills and tools, these low barrier to entry technologies, totally democratizable. A friend of mine just told me on Friday, he set up a open source free coding school. Um, we're gonna unlock these skills and tools, put them into the hands of the many and create a new wave of entrepreneurs who are just coming up with the new business models that Volker talks about that are solving the problems we've got at scale. And I think if we can, within our own organizations, find that talent, which is up and down the organization and inside and out of it and collaborate with it around these big problems, then I think there is a huge set of opportunities ahead of us. Great, thank you. So um, this has gone really quickly, actually, but I'm gonna end with uh, a personal question for, for both of you because your passion and your insight for this topic is just really infectious. But um, what's the one thing that you can't wait to get back to, to quote unquote, normal? Um, Leo, I'm going to start with you. I really want a holiday. I'm really, <laughs> I, really, I really want, I really want a holiday just to be like going for long walks, sitting with my family and friends. That's my dream. Uh, I'm with you there. <laughs> with you there, Volker. What's your one thing that <laughs> that you can't wait to get back to normal? I really can't wait, and I cannot believe it for a moment, Teresa, um, to meet uh, my um, peers, my my friends, my colleagues in in the office again. Um, it's been such a long time since I haven't been in an office environment. And what a wonderful thing um, to um, have a chat with somebody where you don't need to schedule a video conference call just in the uh, um, kitchen or in the canteen and, and just have a coffee and talk about business. That's something I'm really, really missing, I must admit. Let me edit my answer and say what I meant to say was I really want to go back to the office also. <laughs> I join you on your holiday, Leo, that's for sure. It's a deal. Beautiful. Brilliant. So that actually draws us to the close of another episode in our Business in Focus podcast. Uh, Leo Volker, thank you. That was so fascinating as 
a person in the street, I learned a lot just from listening to, to both of you. Um, and of course, thank you to everyone for listening. Um, if you'd like to explore PwC's in industry-led insight and thought leadership and get some more insight and inspiration for your organization, then I'd really suggest that you visit industry in focus at pwc.co.uk forward slash industries. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with future episodes. Thanks everyone and please tune in again soon.